Welcome to MuggleCast episode 430. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Eric isn't here this week. He's still recovering from his trip to Orlando. He left a day later than Micah and I did. We had a full day of recovery so we could be ready to podcast again. But Micah, it was also your birthday the other day. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I enjoyed celebrating down in Orlando. We had a little MuggleCast meetup, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, but you had a, a cake, a cookie cake for me, which turned my tongue blue for at least a day. Not sure what kind of chemicals were in that, but uh, anyway. Well, it was from Walmart, so you can only imagine. Oh, you went to Walmart? That was Eric's idea. <laughs> Walmart. You were, in the, you were in the Southeast, and you went to get a cookie cake, and you didn't go to the Publix Bakery? Oh, what is that would have been a great idea. <laughs> Laura was raving about Publix recently to me. Yeah. I, I really wanted to go to one. In fact, there was one right across the street from the conference center where podcast movement was happening. Dang, that would have been a great idea. That's a fail. Uh, major fail. <laughs> I agree. Aside from that, yesterday, we're recording on Sunday. Saturday was my birthday and I just, I relaxed. I went down to the beach for a couple hours and then just came home, had dinner with... Uh, family and and had some drinks and nice that's fine as as you get older i think that's kind of what you like to do you don't need anything too too crazy but it, it was very much needed after we were talking before the show andrew had mentioned i was in orlando for two weeks and uh i i needed some time just to kind of unwind yeah so we have a mailbag and grab bag type of episode for everybody today. We're going to get started on our Order of the Phoenix episode soon, probably next week. We won't jump straight into chapter by chapter. We might do a couple of introductory episodes similar to the ones we did for Sorcerer's Stone. On today's episode, we have some emails and we also have some voicemails. We have some great feedback from our listeners and we will touch on podcast movement because we had a great time there, the big annual podcast conference that happened this year in Orlando. But first, a little news item. Just wanted to mention this, not the biggest deal, but Pottermore has announced a Wizarding World app is on the way. This is created by Wizarding World Digital, who we spoke about a few weeks ago. They are the team behind Pottermore. And they are, they're kind of like a mashup of Team J.K. Rowling and Team Warner Brothers. And uh, it's kind of funny, the description. So first of all, I guess it might be a big, big deal because they're calling it the official Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts companion. But it sounds like it's going to be Pottermore within an app. There's going to be news, polls, announcements. And get this, everybody. There is going to be a new fanzine, Wizarding Weekly. Landing every Wednesday. Fanzine is a word I probably have not heard since 2002. <laughs> yeah. So I'm eager to see what the fanzine is. <laughs> and they said they're working on new ways to, more ways to make the app as magical as possible. So I guess we're finally going to have a use for that wizarding passport that we all created a few months ago. And it's going to be launching in New Zealand first. Mm. Any ideas what could be in this fanzine? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm imagining kind of like you said, Andrew, like a 2000 style, like Nickelodeon magazine <laughs> type thing. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Teen Bop. Today yeah. we're fawning over young Dumbledore. <laughs> we have an exclusive interview with Jude Law. 
the interview you have to read yeah right yeah <laughs> so kind of interesting but yeah i don't know what, what do you... was the first thing i said to you though andrew do you remember i can't remember another app another app yeah but that's where the world is going i think pottermore realizes that they might be trying to transition away from pottermore.com and just going strictly into the app world i'm also thinking they might start using this to send out some push notifications maybe with some breaking news Fantastic Beast 3 is titled this. Tap to learn more. Yeah. Stuff like that. No, I think it's definitely a smart move for them. um, Because the days of people sitting down at their desktops to look up Harry Potter news are, I think, somewhat behind us. I'm sure there's still some people who do that. (laughs) But um, definitely the trend is for the app life. So Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think there have been a lot of signs that the wizarding world is evolving in this digital landscape, we have these new Harry Potter video games. We found out a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't even mentioned this yet, Warner Brothers is putting together a new web series. The working title for now is called Sorted, it seems. And it's going to be a web series in which fans talk about what their Hogwarts house means to them. So there are all these digital initiatives going on right now to get the Wizarding World ready for the next 10, 20 years. That's pretty interesting. Anyway, we'll see what's in this Wizarding World app with the fanzine when it launches in the weeks ahead. It looks like New Zealand is going to get it first. We did also want to recap our time at Podcast Movement in Orlando. We learned a lot, right, Micah? The the reason that we went down there was to see what we can do to grow the show. And we wanted to network with fellow podcasters. And it was a really great time. Absolutely. I, I thought it was a really cool event to attend. And I went in with really no expectations, but walked out feeling really glad that we spent the time down there, spent that additional couple of days tacked on to the end of my 10-day work trip. But just the things that we learned, all the sessions that we went to, we kind of divided and conquered, and we all took notes. So there's probably at least 15 to 20 Google Docs that we created just with notes on how we can improve the show for the listeners. And and that's really what it's all about. So thanks to our patrons that we were able to go down there and we met with Patreon, we met with a few other groups, and we met some other Potter podcasters who were down there as well, who I had never met before. So it was great just to connect with other folks from the industry, whether they were Potter podcasters or whether they were from you know other podcast that you'd never even think existed. So it was really cool. <laughs> well, I met a podcaster who I definitely knew existed. Uh-huh. And his name is Leo Laporte. And we spoke about this on the bonus MuggleCast on Patreon, but I'll share again with our audience. So Leo Laporte is actually the reason that MuggleCast exists. And that's not an exaggeration. When Back in, back in 2004, he started a podcast called This Week in Tech, and I had been aware of him because of a TV show that he was on. So I followed him to his podcast, and it was like this underground podcast for the people who were ousted from this television network. And it just felt so cool because podcasts were barely a thing back in 2004. And I was working for MuggleNet at the time, and I was really into this podcast. So I said to my fellow MuggleCast, MuggleNet staff members hey, why don't we create a podcast? And so we kicked around the idea and we eventually created one. And it was really because of Leo. So I had been, I didn't realize Leo was going to be there until we were actually in Orlando. 
and he wasn't doing any panels or anything. So I had no clue. And he's not on social media. So I had no clue how to encounter him. And then while it just, it, this timing could not have been more perfect. It was the final hour that we were at Podcast Movement and we were, we were waiting to meet our fellow Harry Potter podcasters. And who walks by us but Leo? And I'm like, <gasps> and then I honestly don't even know what I said to him. I blacked out. I can't remember <laughs> what I said to him initially. But he, funnily enough, is obsessed with Wizards Unite, and he gave me his Wizards Unite friend code without me even asking. He may as well have proposed to me. Like, that's what it felt like, <laughs> him showing me his friend In front code. of his wife. He should have proposed to you in front of his wife who was there. That would have been great. Yeah, that would have been awesome. A little awkward. Well, we, we were talking about Bruce, because he loves Bruce, too. Oh, we hit it off. It was great. So, anyway, that absolutely... I've never seen Andrew that happy before. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, it's true, I, I saw that picture. You were like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> oh, I was freaking excited. And I wanted to bring it up because, again, Leo is the reason that this podcast exists. So uh, thank you, Leo, for being so great with your time. And now I know how it feels when people <laughs> meet us sometimes if they really like us. Anyway, we also met our listeners that night. We had a MuggleCast meetup at Bar 17 Bistro. It's a rooftop bar at Universal's Aventura Hotel. It was a really great night. Thank you to Michael, Haley, Robin, Charlie, Nicole 1 and Nicole 2, Kim 1 and Kim 2, Erica and her husband who extended their honeymoon to make the meetup. Aww. Heather, Madison, Madeline, Christina, Kat, Crystal, Amanda, Jess, and Ryan. <laughs> That's my brother, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks to Ryan. <laughs> Ryan and Micah hit it off, Laura. They hadn't seen each other in like 15 years. They were talking half the night, just them two. But it wasn't just us two, but... (laughs) The last time I saw Ryan, he was literally a child. (laughs) Yeah, now now he can drink. I know. He's 23. Whole whole different world. He's going to Del Taco. (laughs) Oh, God. Place is so great. It's an inside joke. It's an inside joke, yeah. Uh, Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. Del Taco's amazing, so... There you go. (laughs) We did have a little birthday party for MuggleCast and Micah. Like like we said, Eric got that cookie cake from Walmart, <laughs> not Publix. <laughs> and it was just a really great time. So thank you to everybody who came out. Charlie brought his copy of Cursed Child for us to sign. And we said, why, why Cursed Child? And he said, because I really don't like this book. But if you guys sign it, it'll make it a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> I, oh, I thought that was really pretty funny. Sweet. <laughs> That was great. And Erica and her husband uh, extending their honeymoon. That was really, really cool. That Right. And and they told the story. Like, they called the airline. The airline was cool with it. They didn't say that they were staying for MuggleCast, but because it was their honeymoon, the airline <laughs> waived all the fees so they didn't get charged. So I think that was, uh, oh, that was nice. Oh, that's so sweet. So shout out to JetBlue. If they want to sponsor the show, feel free to do so. <laughs> Just kidding. That is great. One company we met with at Podcast Movement was Spotify. They have a, they're really trying hard to become a big presence in the podcast industry. And they're giving podcasters a dashboard where we can see lots of insights into our audience. Ooh. Yeah. And I was looking through this dashboard, and there's this section where we can see the most popular artists that our subscribers are listening to. And I asked on our Twitter account, to our listeners, what artists do you think are most popular with MuggleCast listeners? 
And we have the top five here. I thought I'd reveal them on the show. It's kind of <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Do you two want to guess one artist who might be in this list of five? I feel like Taylor Swift. Okay. Probably. Mm-hmm. Micah? I think you showed me the list, but I don't remember it. Oh, crap. You're right. I did. Ed Sheeran's probably in there as well. Yeah. So Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, Billy Elish. Oh, yeah. She's cool. To... Yeah. Ariana Grande and Beyonce. So it's just, just <laughs> your typical pop stars. <laughs> Nothing special. <laughs> but it'd be funny if there was like Wizard Rock in there or... Is Wizard Rock on Spotify? Um, I think so. I'm sure some of it is. Should be if it's well, not. Well, Andrew, you had your... um. You had your Wizard Rock single from like 2005 or whatever. Yeah. I bet that's on there. Uh, but somebody's God, you think that's on Spotify? <laughs> I, am I making any money from that? A <laughs> <laughs> couple other housekeeping reminders. I'm going to be at the Wizards Unite Fan Festival in Indianapolis two weekends from now. It's going to be Labor Day weekend. I'm going to be there on the Saturday. So if you see me, please say hi. I don't have plans to do a formal meetup just yet. I might send out something on social media. So keep an eye on MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, just in case. But if you are in town, please say hi if you see me, especially if you're at the Wizards Unite Fan Festival. And Micah, you and Eric are doing something later this year, right? Yeah, we mentioned it on the last episode, but Eric and I will be at LeakyCon Boston, October 11th through the 13th at the Seaport Hotel and World Trade Center. It's the 10-year anniversary of LeakyCon, and it all started back in Boston 10 years ago. So they are doing a special conference just for Boston, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I know Dan Fogler, who plays Jacob in the Fantastic Bee series, as well as Chris Rankin, who plays Percy Weasley, They'll both be there. More announcements to come. But if there are any listeners that are interested in attending, all you have to do is go to LeakyCon.com and enter code MUGGLE at checkout or just go to LeakyCon.com slash MUGGLE for $10 off your ticket to the conference. Okay, great. Excited to hear what you guys do there. I know Chris Rankin is friendly with Eric MuggleCast, so... Maybe do something with him. Yeah. I don't know. And Dan Fogler has his own podcast, so we can (laughs) swap, connect with him over over, uh, old podcasting stories. I don't know. Hey, man, were you at Podcast Movement? Missed you there. (laughs) You should have come to the MuggleCast meetup and ate Walmart cookie cake with us. All right. So it's time now for some voicemails. This one, we have a mix here. There is a, we, we have a mix of, Sorcerer's Stone responses, theme park reactions based on our last episode, and a couple other oddball things, including a crackpot theory. Let's start with this little Easter egg from Sorcerer's Stone. I know when people hear this, they get really excited about it if they haven't heard about it before. So hopefully some people haven't heard this one before. Hey, MuggleCast, it's Chris calling again. Hey, after the uh, end of the chapter, chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, decided to listen to it again, and I had a quick thought that I thought was funny, you guys might find funny as well. Uh, chapter 12, there was a point where the Weasley twins were throwing snowballs to the back of Coral's head. Kind of made me wonder uh, what Voldemort thought of that when he was getting pelted by snowballs. Uh, just thought it was a funny little tidbit. Thanks, you guys are awesome. Bye. That was absolutely some foreshadowing going on. Mm-hmm. 
by J.K. Rowling. And also just one of those fun little moments that she tends to insert over the course of the series. Mm-hmm. I like to envision Voldemort's face as each snowball like made impact. <laughs> Do you think he made a noise too? Like, <laughs> I imagine that the noise would be slightly more evil sounding than that. What would a evil sounding noise of pain be? I, I don't know. But it's Voldemort, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever been hit in the face with a snowball, you know how annoying it is. I remember I got hit once in college. I went to Syracuse, so it snows there like 10 months out of the year. And I just remember getting drilled, and it just sets this thing off inside of you. So I'm impressed, actually, that Voldemort didn't respond in any way to Fred and George. But it's <laughs> just like killed him right there. <laughs> killed them right there. Maybe it was a noise proof turban or there were just enough layers to conceal his squeal. Yeah. Conceal don't feel, you know? Yeah. I mean, looking at the book art and then also the movie rendering, it was, it's a pretty thick headdress. So maybe he didn't. Maybe I, I'm sure he felt some impact, right? But hopefully he didn't feel the ice cold. I hope it hit him right where his nose would be. <laughs> I feel like that would just be perfect. Uh, Voldemort becomes Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> All right. Here is a crackpot theory. This voicemail is about two minutes, but I, I found it super interesting. Hey, Mogocasters. I have a crackpot theory that was brought on by your mention of a homunculus the other day on your podcast. I'm thinking Dumbledore was always warning Harry not to mess with the dead and not to try and bring anyone back. Maybe he's speaking from personal experience. I'm sure Mr. Perfect Order of Merlin head boy never messed up in all his years right up until his sister was lying dead at his feet. Failure and guilt would overwhelm someone of his intelligence, arrogance, and self-importance. He might then attempt to cheat death and try to make it right. His association with Flamel and interest in both alchemy and dragon's blood uses could be a link to the homunculus you mentioned in your recent episode. Perhaps this perfectly formed human of gold was created by Dumbledore accidentally while trying to use the elixir of life to create a new body for Ariana, much like Voldemort sought to in the first book. Perhaps using her blood of his own, Dumbledore would then genetically be related to this gold man, i.e. a brother. Uh, Rarelius does mean gold in Latin, and we all know that J.K.R. loves her names and her classics. This would also explain why Grindelwald Grace was obsessed with finding a girl in the first Fantastic Beasts movie, assuming Dumbledore had been successful in bringing back his sister. But now, the use of Dumbledore's blood and the Philosopher's Stone and one source of dragon blood in there and creepy ancient magic rites while you're at it, and you would produce one powerful magical being. However, Dumbledore would have not made Ariana, but a baby boy out of this crazy process, and therefore deemed it a failure. He probably gave the baby to some aunt or cousin or somebody to raise in America, because Dumbledore ain't got time for no baby raising, being in mourning for his sister and heartbroken over Gellert, and all in all being really young and wanting to still go off and be all awesome and whatnot for the greater good. Thanks for listening to my crackpot theory. I hope you'll share it on the podcast and maybe lend some credence to my ravings. Eh? (laughs) Becca, a teacher and Slytherin from Louisville, Kentucky. Bye. Oh, I love this. Yeah. This is so fun. So Dumbledore failed to recreate Ariana. He tried to create a new body. I'm also wondering, did we ever speak about Graves slash Grindelwald actually looking for Ariana in the first movie? Because like Becca said, he was looking for a woman, Mm -hmm. a girl. Well, and we thought... 
initially, weren't we led to believe that it might be the other little girl, Modesty, I think her name was? Yes. And then this whole gold thing is definitely something that people have been speculating over a lot. Mm-hmm. And wow, imagine getting that backstory at some point in this Fantastic Beast series, Dumbledore confessing that he tried to bring Ariana back to life. And then, of course, in Crimes of Grindelwald, we get some insight into Dumbledore's state of mind. We we see his feelings. We see how torn up he is yeah. over Ariana, over, even though he doesn't explicitly bring her up. Well, it's when he's talking with Lita, right, that he brings it up? Yeah. I do wonder, though, if Dumbledore were to do this and then immediately decide to give the baby away because it's a boy and it's not what he wanted. Why go through the trouble of naming him? Mm. Unless somebody else named him. Well, he's alive now. May as well name him, right? I mean, I guess if you have no intention of interacting with him or making him part of your family, why? I mean, I know Dumbledore is sentimental and stuff, but at the same time, if he's like, you know, cold enough to give away his blood relative as an infant. Mm. That's the only hang up for me. Yeah. It's a little hard to imagine Dumbledore giving away a child that he created. But maybe he's just so upset about Ariana that he couldn't bear to face this failed attempt yeah. at creating Ariana. I, so we're saying that in an attempt to recreate Ariana, he creates Credence? Right. That actually would be one of the only things at this point I would believe as possible. And that would, of course, allow for Credence to actually be related to Dumbledore in some way. Right. And and then I, as a fan, can buy this whole story that J.K. Rowling is creating. This Aurelius Dumbledore twist at the end was was a lot for for some people and i've been subscribing to this theory that he is not i know that he is actually a dumbledore but it still kind of sits weird with me that that we had never heard of this character before so this theory i i can get behind and this this storyline i can get behind if this is what actually is going on i'm just trying to play this out so if Dumbledore had created Credence slash Aurelius and given him away, he gave him to whomever it was that, sorry, I'm blinking right now, but that had him on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Not actually. The I think Titanic. it was Dumbledore's aunt based yes, on the you're right. script book. Okay. So that would make sense if he was giving the baby away to an aunt mm. who was then taking him to America. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then maybe the ant dies in the sinking, and so he ends up in this crazy-ass orphanage? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, and, well, what about if he sends this child away to keep him away from Grindelwald? Maybe he doesn't trust Grindelwald's mm-hmm. plans. Oh, right. Right, and that would also Grindelwald would totally that would also make sense yeah. as to why then later when in the first Fantastic Beast film that Graves slash Grindelwald is looking for this Obscurus. Yes. All right, we solved it. Huh? We solved the uh, <laughs> mystery great. of us and Becca Mugglecast and yeah. Becca. Becca solved it. Really. Becca, call- <laughs> <laughs> 
Becca, call back after we find if if this all comes into fruition, and then we'll we'll have you on the have show. you on the yeah. show. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on to our next voicemail. Hi, my name is Kelsey. I was listening to your podcast from this week, and you were talking about the mirror of Irisa and how um, it seems like Dumbledore had basically set it up so that Harry could be able to get the stone instead of just hiding it in there permanently. We've talked a lot about how Dumbledore has basically set Harry up. Do you think that this was Dumbledore's first test for Harry to see does he really have a pure heart? Because at this point, he hasn't really had that much contact with him in 10 or 11 years. So do you think this was kind of a test for Harry to see how he would handle if the mirror would know if he wanted to use the stone or if it was just to get it for safety reasons? Yes, I I love this. Um, yeah. there's, there's a lot going on here. So first of all, I think I made this point when we talked about the end of Sorcerer's Stone a couple episodes ago, but choosing to make the stone only retrievable by somebody who wanted to find it and not use it is a very pointed choice. Because when I think about somebody who would only want to find the stone and not actually use it, I can only think of a child because somebody that young doesn't quite have a fully formed concept of death and the fear that comes along with it. Whereas I can't imagine somebody like who's an adult and does have that understanding would only want to find the stone and not use it. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we talked about all of the comparisons between the last chapter of book one and the um, King's Cross chapter in Deathly Hallows, in which Harry wakes up in the hospital wing in book one, and then he wakes up at King's Cross, air quotes here, um, in book seven. And there are so many parallels to the environment that's described and also to the conversation that Harry and Dumbledore have. So Mm. we also know, I think, just based on the chronology that we got later in the series, that at this point in the series, Dumbledore definitely knows that Voldemort is doing something. And I think he maybe suspects Horcruxes, but he doesn't quite have it confirmed yet. It's not confirmed until uh, Tom Riddle's diary in book two. Mm. So what I'm thinking is that this caller is exactly right, that this was somewhat of a test for Harry. Yeah, I agree with that. The caller, Kelsey, also said that, by the way, (laughs) when we look at these names, when I say Kelsey or Becca, I'm relying on the Google Voice transcript, so hopefully Google is transcribing correctly. But anyway, she mentioned that Dumbledore doesn't really have a good sense of Harry, which... At, at this stage, which is correct, but he must also trust that somebody who was a Potter who is a son of Lily and James, is going to be an inherently good person. So while I agree this might be a test, I would have to think he felt confident in the fact that Harry was a, a good person and his heart was in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And and that's also supported by the fact that Dumbledore gives Harry the invisibility cloak with the note that says, just in case. Sneak around. I know you won't abuse it. <laughs> okay. Next voicemail. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Vicky. Hope you're all having a great day. Um, I've been listening to you guys for what seems like forever, and uh, my sense of humor was uh, significantly impacted 
by the British joke of the day section that you guys used to have. <laughs> um, anyway, the reason that I'm calling is I've been catching up on some old episodes, and in 405, there was a discussion about the phoenix in Crimes of Grindelwald. And Micah mentioned that the bird appeared to kind of grow up super fast and full size, while in the other movies, we've seen it taken a while for that phoenix to get to maturity. So that kind of made me wonder if maybe it isn't an actual phoenix, but some kind of illusion that uh, Grindelwald is playing. And yes, I meant to say Grindelwald. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what the point of him doing the illusion might be. Uh, maybe to get back at Dumbledore or something. I don't know. But I just figured I'd throw that out there. Uh, thanks for listening. Keep up the great work. So this would go against what we just discussed. The excellent crackpot yeah. theory. Right. <laughs> well, it's certainly possible. Because the phoenix... Right? I... That it's an illusion? Yeah. yeah. The, the hardest part to believe is at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald. I, I think the theory that we just discussed that was sent in works minus this piece about the phoenix being a potential illusion, right? Because... It It is contrary to a lot of what we've seen in the Potter series as it relates to Fox. Fox takes time to grow throughout the course of when we see him burn in – is it Sorcerer's Stone or Chamber of Secrets? I can't Chamber remember. Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets, right. And this phoenix, maybe Grindelwald has the ability to make – it it you know like what is it called in Pokemon when the Pokemon uh, evolve evolves yeah exactly so <laughs> I don't know like I wouldn't put it past Grindelwald to have that ability but at the same time I wouldn't put it past him to be lying straight to Credence's face. So why can't both of these things be true though? Is it necessary that just because you're a Dumbledore that a phoenix would appear to you at exactly the moment that you find out you're a Dumbledore? I think it's possible that he is actually a Dumbledore and that Grindelwald could be sort of falsifying this Phoenix appearance to make Credence believe it because Credence wouldn't know the difference anyway, right? Right. So I think both of these things could be true. I just rewatched the scene with my digital copy and it's just it's it's immediate it's a baby bird that fits in grindelwald's hand and just flies up we see fire and then it's a full-size phoenix it's also possible that they just sped up that progress for the sake of the movie it it just makes sense from a storytelling perspective yeah grindelwald is holding the phoenix i just it flies into the air turns into a full phoenix i feel like though the in the past for the most part the the screenwriters have been very careful about those types of details, right? In in the Potter series, for the <sighs> most part, it was Steve Clovis. Now it's J.K. Rowling. So, it the only other thing that I can think of as a possibility is that it's the revelation, it's the knowledge that he is a Dumbledore that allows the Phoenix to evolve in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point too. Who knows? Maybe it just rushed its development to get out of Grindelwald's hand. Like, ew. Oh, God. Get away from me. (laughs) All right. One more voicemail today. Hi, MuggleCast. My name's Phoebe. Um, I'm just calling because I had a thought today while listening while driving. Um, I think it was on episode 426 you were talking about, was it necessary to rename the Philosopher's Stone the Sorcerer's Stone? And I actually had a funny memory from when I was a little kid reading the book for the very first time in the 90s. Um, and 
I remember I did not know it was a British series until the movie came out, and I was blown away by it. <laughs> so no idea if that, you know, proves like, hey, it should have been changed, should have not been changed. But little kid me was blown away when everyone had British accents in the movie theater. <laughs> I think that's pretty interesting. I'm trying to remember if I knew it was a British series from the very beginning. I think I did. But if we also think about ourselves as children, we probably saw very few British movies when we were nine or 10 years old, unless your parents were purposely showing you those types of films. So <laughs> I'm just imagining this caller being like, Mom, wow, they have accents. Cool. <laughs> I think the only reason I knew from the outset that it took place in Britain was because in chapter one, they mentioned Kent. And... I was just curious and I Googled it, I think. <laughs> you asked Jeeves to... Yeah, probably. Where is Kent, Jeeves? Tell me. <laughs> I signed on and I heard that computer go, you have mail. <laughs> <laughs> Very 1990s of me. I will say, though, as a child, you know, I, I mentioned I got these books as an 11-year-old. I was unsure how to pronounce some of the names. Mm -hmm. Like Seamus, for example, to 11-year-old me read as Seamus. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was reading the book out loud one day to my brother. And my mom heard me. And she heard me say Seamus. And my mom was like, no, Laura, it's, it's Seamus. And I was like, what? There's no H in here. <laughs> The big one for me was Hermione oh, yeah. calling her Hermione. That that was everyone. Oh my god, there was a big debate. Yeah, amongst like me and my friends and like other adults in our lives. Like some people told us it was Hermione. Some people told us. Some people told us it was Hermone. Hermone. Yeah. It honestly wasn't until I don't think it was until the movies came out that I learned the right way to say her name. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I was the same way. Wow. Now I probably would have done the same thing. But I had the luxury of the movies first, at least the first three movies, and then I started yeah. reading the mm -hmm. books. So yeah, I didn't I didn't fall into that. Trap. Funny, the publishers were sweating philosophers. Yeah, the big issue was Hermione. Right. <laughs> anyway, thank you for sharing that. Thanks everybody who left a voicemail. We have been listening to them all. We can't play them all, unfortunately, but we really appreciate the time that everybody takes to call in. It's wonderful hearing your voices because we're always just hearing our, our own voices and we don't we rarely get to hear back from you unless we do one of these meetups or we, we listen to the voicemails. So thank you for calling in. We really appreciate it. If you want to call in with a voicemail, our number is one nine two oh three muggle. One nine two oh three six eight four four five three. It is a U.S. number, but if you put one in front of that 920, you can call us internationally. Time now for some emails. Micah, do you want to read the first one? Sure. First email comes from Janifler, who is a frequent participant in our uh, Quizage game, from what I remember. I hear her name a lot. She says, sorry to see Pendantic. I'm a Ravenclaw after all. But in your latest episode, 427... Well, this is going back a, a couple episodes. You were asking why the people at Harry's school didn't notice when he disappeared. School years are a bit different here in the UK, and when Harry went to Hogwarts would be when you would start secondary school. So he would have been going to a new school anyway, and it wouldn't have been very noticeable. If I remember right, Dudley was going to a fancy private boarding secondary school, and Harry was going, or was supposed to be going, to the local comprehensive 
before getting accepted at Hogwarts. I believe it was Smeltings, right? That's what Vernon says. I think that's yeah, where Dudley was going. Name. I think Harry was going to St. Brutus's, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Other way around. See, this is why Laura needs to be here all the time. <laughs> well, she is now. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, I love your discussion, though. I never thought about how they kept up with muggle friends. It must be so difficult. Keeping fantastic, Jennifer. Yeah. So the big thing for me wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, the non- or, or sorry, the wizarding friends. It's it's the non-wizarding friends, the the people that they may have met growing up, right? When they were going to school, Harry must have had people that he was at least conversational with in in his younger years, and all of a sudden he disappears. And and yeah, how do you even explain that moving forward? You can't like, oh yeah, I go to a wizarding school. Do you know. wait? Do you really think Harry had conversations conversations with other kids? When would that have happened? Yeah. Because the Dursleys kept him in the house all the time. It seems like, and I feel like I remember in book one there being mentions of Harry being bullied quite a bit at school. Like I, it might have been Dudley or some other bully who was chasing him, but it, it talked about how he all of a sudden like made a great great leap and ended up like on the roof. Yeah. Of something so that he was away from whoever was pursuing him. So I get the impression that Harry was kind of a loner, a weird kid who got bullied a lot. And so people probably didn't notice mm -hmm. when he disappeared. I will say to the other point of people who might have had like more entrenched friendships, this is also a really natural thing that happens when kids grow up and go to different schools. Like you might still see each other in the summers and stuff, but. Mm. kids do sort of naturally tend to grow apart from each other when they're removed from each other's environments super frequently. So I, I can see how this would work out. And really, if you were somebody, especially a muggle-born, like thinking Hermione, who's coming back every summer and having to catch up with all of your muggle family and your muggle friends, I could see her having a whole story at the back of her head about like, oh, yeah, I'm taking science and, you know, calculus and all of these other things when really that's not at all what she's doing. Right. But think about all the other kids. I mean, she's smart enough, obviously, to come up with some story, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of other kids that they're going to school with that would fall into that category and they have to explain it away. Like, oh, why don't you share some pictures from your uh, your classes or, you know, like, what does your school look like? Mm -hmm. uh, well, can't you owe you that photo of a castle? Can I? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no electronics allowed. Well, it's interesting, though, because aren't a lot of private schools over there actually in castle-like environments? Yeah. I feel like a lot of fancy boarding schools are like that. So mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't be out of the realm to be able to just show some, like, non-moving <laughs> pictures. Right. My, What's that giant three-headed dog? Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. Don't look at that. It's a school mascot. Yeah, they definitely have to be very selective about what information they revealed. But at the same time, I think that going to boarding school like this is so common mm. that people probably wouldn't feel compelled to dig super deep, right? Mm -hmm. If you just give a generic answer like, oh, yeah, it was great. Um you know, here's a picture of like 
my common room or something like that. And I think the way that everything was written sounds like in terms of the environment minus the magic sounds pretty typical of a boarding school. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think they could do it. All right. Uh, I guess. It's tough, though. It's not easy. And then what happens? We talked about this a little bit, too, on that episode. But what happens then when you move on from Hogwarts into your careers? And let's say you did have good friends growing up that you'd want to stay in touch with in the muggle world. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you explain what it is that you do? You just say, I can't talk about it. Oh, yeah. You mentioned this. I have a cousin who has a job in the government. They can't talk about it. And none of us knows what they do. Ooh, maybe they went to Ilvermorny. Maybe they're a wizard. <gasps> Why didn't I get my invite? Because oh. you're a squib, Andrew. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I, I think, oh, damn it. <laughs> I don't want Laura on the show anymore. <laughs> I think wizards would probably just say, I can't talk about it. Sorry. Just mm -hmm. like some people do in the real world when they work for the government or other very secretive jobs, if there are any. This is a perfect question for J.K. Rowling once she finds her way back to Twitter. Yeah. You know, we haven't really mentioned that, but she's been off Twitter for like four months now. It really is over. It's kind of sad. Well, people were being... They, people were kind of piling on, right? Yes. Like... I don't blame her for freeing no. herself from... God, no the cesspool that is Twitter. But I don't know. I kind of miss it still. Uh, maybe she should just get back to writing for the website. Like, can she do that? That'd be cool. Don't have a comment section. Don't look at Twitter. Just write stuff there. And you won't have to see any nonsense. I don't know. Anyway, next email. This is from Brandon. Last week's episode, and again, this is a little old, 427, Connecting Sorcerer's Stone to Deathly Hollows, touched on some details of love magic that I think are a bit confusing, and I was wondering if you guys can clarify. I was under the impression that Lily's protection over Harry only acts against Voldemort himself. I thought that Quirrell couldn't touch Harry because Voldemort was on the back of Quirrell's head. If the protection extends to be against other people, such as Death Eaters, how is it decided who is included? On the other hand, if the protection is only against Voldemort, why couldn't a Death Eater have just looked up the Dursley's address and the Yellow Pages and kidnapped Harry? Love the show. Started listening in the beginning. Phased out after Book 7 came out, and I've been really enjoying being back with the Fantastic Beasts excitement. Also, Chapter by Chapter has been great. Thank you, Brandon in Eugene, Oregon. I think this is probably a twofold thing, right? I think one, it's Lily's protection. And you are right. Mm -hmm. It protects against Voldemort specifically, which was why Quirrell wasn't able to touch Harry without pain. But I think it's also the fact that Voldemort chose Harry. So in him choosing Harry, he kind of sealed the deal that Voldemort has to be the one to kill Harry, right? Neither can live while the other survives, that whole bit. And then I think adding to that, Voldemort's made it very clear to his followers that he wants to be the one to kill Harry. And once Voldemort is, quote unquote, gone, we remember all these Death Eaters sort of went underground. Many of them renounced their status as Death Eaters because it was the only other way for them to function in this new Voldemort-free society. Of course, mm -hmm. when he comes back, they all rejoin the fold. But in this interim period, I don't think they could have done anything to raise suspicion. Otherwise, they would have gone to Azkaban or whatever. Yeah. And remember, the Dursley's home had 
very strong protections on it. So the Death Eaters couldn't just go and kidnap Harry, even though he was outside from time to time. But still, to Laura's point, it was it, Voldemort was gone. So, mm-hmm. and most of the time he was at Harry was at Hogwarts. By the time he Voldemort was coming back into existence, mm-hmm. right? That that was the point that I was going to add. Is that I I thought that once Voldemort fell, there was a lot of fear on the part of those who were Death Eaters to really even try anything. Yeah. And much less to be public about the fact that they were a Death Eater. So I and and Harry presumably had killed the most powerful dark wizard of all time. Does a random Death Eater like Lucius Malfoy stand any chance if if they were to try? They they didn't know what happened. Nobody knew what happened other than the fact that Voldemort had been destroyed and Harry had survived the killing curse. So mm-hmm. why would they be any more successful in their attempts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I can see that fear of them thinking like, well, he did this as an infant. What could he do as a five-year-old or as a 10-year-old? I don't really want to mess with this. The other consideration as well is that killing Harry Potter would have been a highly publicized crime. And these are all people who are trying to go back to living their normal lives without allowing their previous Death Eater status to impact them, right? Like Mm -hmm. Lucius Malfoy works at the Ministry of Magic. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that things wouldn't have gone well for him if he had shown up at the Dursleys and tried Mm -hmm. to kill Harry. And let's not forget too, Lily's protection of Harry, her sacrifice was was kind of extended in a way by Petunia's acceptance of Harry at Privet Drive. Mm -hmm. So- that's also at play here too. Yeah. I think Brandon is asking more about like, does Lily's protection just protect Harry from Voldemort mm-hmm. or does it protect him from Voldemort and like all of his ancillary like lackeys? And my understanding was always that it was strictly Voldemort. Right. Because where would the threats have been in the rest of the series if <laughs> Harry was just protected from everybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I think it's probably this combination of like, yes, he has this protection from Voldemort, but at the same time, there's a little bit of societal protection going on because before Voldemort comes back, the Death Eaters can't really be doing any of his bidding, mm-hmm. not not so publicly as to go after Harry. Right. Next email is from Laura. Oh, Laura, you're writing into the show now, huh? Yeah. I missed you guys. <laughs> <laughs> This is about James's protection. Just in relation to something you were talking about with Philosopher's Stone, that's always kind of bugged me. Lily died for Harry and gave him protection, and then Harry died for everyone at the battle, and they were protected. Why did this not happen when James died for Lily and Harry? Am I just being stupid, or is there a super simple explanation? Isn't it that Lily stepped in front of Harry? Yeah, Lily didn't have to die. That was the thing. Voldemort was totally on board with letting her live. (laughs) That was the bargain he had struck with Snape, was that he wouldn't kill the woman. Mm -hmm. So, And Voldemort tells Harry this time and time again, your mother needn't have died. So she actively chose to sacrifice herself when she didn't have to. And another thing that gets brought up again and again in the books is that it was a mother's love. So I think there's some of that. In this, I think a mother's love is probably one of the strongest forms of magic in this universe. So Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me. Yeah. 
Definitely. Though I wonder if J.K. Rowling wrote this in 2019, the theme would just be a parent's love. You know what I mean? We're trying to open up <laughs> beyond just mothers. Yeah. yeah. But I think it comes from her own experiences as well. Mm-hmm. True. And that True. plays a huge role into how she wrote the series. She talks about that a lot, about how her own mother was a huge influence on a lot of what she wrote in the Potter series. Yeah. And I think also this is meant to exemplify Voldemort's lack of understanding about the way love works. Because um, in his mind, he's like, why, why did you have to die? I wasn't going to kill you. So why would you throw yourself in front of this infant? Because he doesn't understand that any mother would gladly throw herself in harm's way to save her infant. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Laura, how about you take the next email, if you don't mind? Sure. Um, this next one comes from JB, and it's about theme parks. Hi, MuggleCast. I just wanted to take a moment to comment on your recent discussion about more Harry Potter slash Wizarding World attractions for the new Universal theme park. I do not think focusing on Fantastic Beasts is a good idea due to the lackluster response and the fact that no one knows how the entire franchise will be received by the end. That being said, taking a more international concept for future Wizarding World attractions might not be completely out of the question. I'm currently rereading Goblet of Fire, and I think there might be potential in a park that features multiple branches of the Wizarding World in a World's Fair type scenario in the way that the Quidditch World Cup had multiple hints at other cultures of wizards. This would be a safe way of reaching deeper into established Harry Potter canon by bringing in things like magic carpets, referenced in Goblet of Fire, different wand builds, referenced in the history of magic in North America, and of course, all the different rewarding schools out there. All of this would cater to Harry Potter canon without leaning too much into Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. The Quidditch World Cup was so diverse. That would be yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I think that was my favorite part of that movie mm-hmm. was how they portrayed all of that. Yeah. Um, I do think JB raises a good point here about diving into Fantastic Beasts when the franchise isn't even done yet. Yeah. I think this was kind of a problem with the Potter movies was that they started producing these when the series was only halfway created. But the books were all out. And no, they weren't. Yeah, they when they started making the Harry Potter movies. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant the parks. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and so that created some problems, right? Like there were a number of really important plot points that got left out of the movies because they didn't wait for the source material to be finished. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a similar concern that JB has about just like we don't really know how the movies are going to go over and just based on how crimes of Grindelwald went, I could definitely see them maybe wanting to be a little bit more careful about how much fantastic beasts they dive into before the movies are finished. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do like the, the international concept here though. Mm -hmm. I know on the last episode we talked about the rumors of the French ministry of magic being a centerpiece for this new land about Fantastic Beasts within Universal's new park. Uh, I do tend to also agree, though, with JB that I think that the Fantastic Beasts franchise has not reached the level of success yet to to actually build around it 
And I think that that could be a major issue, especially if this is going to be a, one of the main centerpieces of this new park. So taking a more international, like an Epcot-like spin on the Wizarding World and creating things that you know, Potter fans would also be familiar with, because to me, Potter is what is going to sell for them. It, it's proven, right? And and I think they've started to even incorporate parts of Fantastic Beasts into uh, like Hagrid's ride, right? You you see all the different beasts. It's called you know Hagrid's magical creatures motorbike adventure. Th- there was a little bit of a Fantastic Beast feel to that. So I, I just worry about them making this new park so focused around Fantastic Beasts, especially because we don't know how this franchise is going to turn out right. in the long run. So we spoke last week about how the rumor is that this new park that Universal is building might be French Ministry of Magic themed. And I was thinking about that a little more after we recorded, and I'm thinking about in Crimes of Grindelwald, when we go into the French Ministry's atrium, there's that beautiful ceiling with all the beasts. That mm-hmm. could actually be pretty cool in a theme park. But still, focusing on one particular movie, in this case, Crimes of Grindelwald, when we know movie three, four, five is going to move the plot to now maybe this has changed in light of maybe maybe this rumor is actually hinting that we're not going to Rio in the th- going to Brazil in the third movie but the the JK Rowling has already said that the next movie will take place at least in part in Brazil so just the fact that it, it the this land is going to be based around crimes of Grindelwald is strange, especially following the reception. Who knows? Maybe they're going to completely change up the plans. This was just concept art. They did not even say they were building a Harry Potter land in the park. So they it, they might be developing a whole new plan right now. But incorporating a couple of other emails that we received about theme parks, Natalie said, I think Quidditch has the potential to support a ride. Maybe a huge wooden arena with a wooden coaster or broom riding seat like the motorbike that rides under the stands and soars all over the Quidditch pitch like you're chasing the snitch. She also said the Ministry of Magic would tie in perfectly with Diagon Alley on the outside. And Robbie said my coolest thought would be to expand London to include the Ministry of Magic. Mm -hmm. I agree. uh, Ministry of Magic is a... I think that would be the next obvious choice if there's one really good choice for a third harry potter series land it would be ministry of magic you think about that atrium and how it goes up a million floors i don't know what the ride would be though uh what about going down a toilet (laughs) (laughs) that'd be fun no you could ride in the different uh elevator cars and experience different moments that Harry does in the ministry, maybe? Yeah, actually, that would be a really cool ride because as we've seen, those elevator cars go up, down, backwards, forwards. Like, they can make something pretty cool with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. You run into Arthur Weasley. Mm-hmm. I think it was in another uh, email that I read, but what about trying to get the locket from Umbridge and you have to battle her and all the Dementors that are in that trial room you could go in the department of mysteries there's a lot of things that they could do with it Mm -hmm. 
So wrapping up with a uh, another interesting theory, Tom emailed in saying that he's a relatively new listener, so I don't know if you guys have covered this subject, but I've read a theory and I don't live in a family where anyone else likes Harry Potter, and I'd like to have a second opinion on it. Well, Tom, you've come to the right place. Yeah. The theory is that a Thestral is the key to making the Deathly Hallows, because it already stated that the core of the Elder Wand is Thestral hair. And in terms of the cloak, if you think about it, maybe with the right spell, Thestral hair, which is invisible to those who haven't seen death, might be able to become invisible to everyone. This also works with what Dumbledore says, quote, I think it more likely that the Peveril brothers were simply gifted, dangerous wizards who succeeded in creating those powerful objects. As for the stone, it is more unclear. Maybe it's like a bazaar, which is a stone taken from a goat's stomach, but instead it's a stone taken from a Thestral stomach. And also the stone from the goat's stomach has mag- magical properties, so why can't a stone from a Thestral stomach have magical properties? Other versions of this theory state that the stone was simply a stone covered in Thestral blood, or has another connection to Thestrals as it was never said that you can even get stones out of a Thestral. And finally, maybe the story about death giving the brothers the hallows originated from the fact that Thestrals are associated with death. Personally, I think it fits, but I would like to hear your opinions. Ooh. I do too. I like this. This is cool. This is a very cool theory. And I, I think we have learned from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that usually invisibility cloaks are made from leather folds, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean, I think to me, this theory fits perfectly given that there's a big invisibility factor to Thestrals. Right. I don't know. I I think he lays, Tom lays it out Mm -hmm. almost perfectly. So I I don't have much to say. I just think it's a really great theory and certainly possible. Right. Yeah. I also just think, like when you look at the way that folklore is written, Oftentimes, um, they'll use stand-ins yeah. for real-life uh, things that were involved in the creation. So I'm trying to think of a good example, but I'm referring to the idea that death is sort of the stand-in for a Thestral in the way this story is written, you know? Like, uh, I wish I could think of a good example, but it's kind of like, um, like an old folklore about... Uh, like lunar eclipses, for example, people used to believe that it was actually a giant snake, like consuming the moon, when really it was just the sun blocking it. Right. So people come up with creative ways for storytelling to try and explain something that they don't totally understand yet. Right. That's true. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tom. So we'll pause Quizage this week because Eric is not here and we are lost without him when it comes to Quizage. So stay tuned for that next week. Also next week, we will probably get started on our Order of the Phoenix discussions. We will, I don't know, we have a couple of different ideas. I want to reflect on the release because that was a critical one in terms of midnight release parties and where the fandom was at that time. That release night was definitely critical. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get started on that chapter by chapter soon. And by the way, a lot of people at our meetup mentioned that they were excited for us to get started. So that felt good. We made a good decision there. Yay! 
You were very missed, Laura, by the way. Oh, I was so sad I couldn't be there. But as I said, I had a Harry Potter bachelorette party going on. Right. Over the course of that. So you you were still immersed in the wizarding world. How was that, by the way? It was so good. Oh, my God. So this. This okay, so I'm gonna preface this by saying clearly this Airbnb was probably designed with children in mind. Uh oh. <laughs> but but we but we still loved it. It was great. Like got there, uh the door is all decorated with the platform nine and three quarters um imagery, and it's also even got like part of a cart, part of a trolley like sticking out of the door. Oh, nice. And you go in and they have the walls all decked out in like Hogwarts posters like they've done these like floor to ceiling posters to recreate like the Hogwarts halls and stuff and there's one room you go in and there's a bunch of letters that are sort of suspended from uh, wire to give the illusion that they're flying around like in the first book Um, you go in the bathroom and there's like a ministry of magic sign on the toilet lid pointing down (laughs) into the toilet there's like a frame picture of moaning myrtle in there you go into one room and the walls are just totally papered with like wanted posters and like ministry of magic announcement posters and things like that it was very cool um one of our friends also made uh homemade chocolate frogs and brought them and like chocolate golden snitches and stuff so we had a good time that's very cool yeah it was fun We've heard of these a couple of times now, people creating these Harry Potter themed Airbnbs. And I assume there are other ones for other fandoms like Game of Thrones. It's a genius mm-hmm. idea. That's that's a very yeah. smart way to make your rental more valuable. I wonder if it rents as frequently as a place that isn't decked out in fandom stuff. I don't know. It was just funny because we were having a bachelorette party there, right? So we were um, up quite late and consuming a number of beverages Mm -hmm. but then we're like looking at the guest book where you can like leave messages and stuff and all of the messages are like thanks for making my daughter's 10th birthday so magical (laughs) and then here we are drunk in the harry potter airbnb thanks for helping us turn up (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome Uh, it was fun though i highly recommend it (laughs) okay (laughs) highly recommend what exactly going to a harry potter airbnb going to a harry potter airbnb yeah okay yeah very cool especially the one in atlanta it was cool yeah did you sign it personally maybe some of our listeners can attend and and look for your name i did not i thought about doing it but honestly i was too drunk so you could have left a muggle cast sticker as well in the in the i don't think i have any oh we'll have to get i I have millennial stickers laura we were at podcast movement to learn how to promote the show that would have been a perfect place to promote the show (laughs) <laughs> uh, it would have been just like paper the wall in muggle cast stickers yeah. i don't think they would have appreciated that new idea micah let's call up all these harry potter themed airbnbs and we'll pay them a hundred dollars to put like muggle cast business cards in <laughs> Ooh, the that's bedrooms. a good idea yeah. and idea. then we could like we could promote their airbnbs on the show in exchange oh perfect brainstorming <laughs> thank you podcast movement for inspiring us <laughs> to grow <laughs> And that Airbnb. Did you have any alcoholic Harry Potter themed drinks like butterbeers or? Nah, we didn't go that far. Okay. (laughs) That's what my Airbnb is going to have. All kinds of Harry Potter themed alcoholic drinks. Well, what was cool though was this Airbnb had recipe books. 
Mm. So it had all kinds of recommendations for things that you could make while you were there. Mm. Um, And like they had all the movies, they had all the books. So we just kind of had the movies on a constant rotation in the background. Nice. Which was fun. Uh, Rewatching Chamber of Secrets, I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) These kids were so young. Oh, my God. Yeah. Harry Potter drinking games. Got to have that information at these Airbnbs. Got to play Harry Potter flip cup. Mm. Oh, yeah. Just have a crap load of Harry Potter board games and video games. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I really want to start my own Harry Potter Airbnb now. You should. Oh, my God. When you move out of your current place, just keep it, but turn it into a Harry Potter Airbnb. Oh, there you go. What would <laughs> what would my downstairs neighbors think of that? The cool ones would probably be on board. <laughs> they just hear people screaming Hedwig's theme yep. every time right. <laughs> somebody's renting it. They just hear people running around upstairs going, Expelliarmus! <laughs> There's a little sign over in my recording area. This is where Andrew Sims record, recorded MuggleCast during his time in this <laughs> condo. All right. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Visit MuggleCast.com for all the information you need about this show, including our contact page where you can write to us. We also have the voicemail phone number there. We also have a complete archive of episodes on MuggleCast.com unlike our rss feed but i am excited to say we are attempting to get all of the old episodes onto our rss feed if you try to listen to the old stuff through your podcasting app right now you only can get as far back as episode 212 i believe and that's because we used to delete episodes in the rss feed because we didn't want that file getting too big it was a whole different time in the early 2000s so now we don't need to do that We are trying to get those old episodes in there. A lot of people ask for that. So that's why we've made this a priority. And at this point, we're just waiting for our hosting provider to get them in there. We did our half of the work. Now it's their turn to bring us home. So hopefully we will have some good news on that in the weeks ahead. In the meantime, you can get our entire episode archive on MuggleCast.com. We also have a link to chapter by chapter right at the top of the website. If you're on mobile, hit that little hamburger menu and you'll see it there. You can easily jump around to any of our chapter analyses. And finally, become a member of our Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You will get access to a recent bonus MuggleCast in which we were offering, after we attended Podcast Movement, kind of a state of the MuggleCast, what we learned and what we're going to be doing in the months ahead. And you can also get early access to the podcast because you will be able to tune in to our live streams. We live stream every single episode of MuggleCast. Everybody kind of gets a raw look at the recording of the show, the beginning, the middle, the end, before, after, everything. And people can sound off and correct us when we make a mistake. For example, I'm looking at the chat right now. And David says, invisibility cloaks are made from demiguises, not leather folds. Oh, good call. See, this is why we live stream. There you go. Yeah, so we can get help. You can fact check It's a us. vast, wizarding world a- out there, and often we are responding to things on the fly. So sometimes we make a mistake, but we appreciate when people point us in the correct direction. Kindly. Then there's some people who are like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> well, sorry. We're working on the fly here. Off the yeah, cuff. I mean, you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. It's fine. That's fine. Everybody's wrong sometimes. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, and Michael, who was at our meetup and listening live right now, he said, we missed you, Laura. I have a goal now to get you to sign my book. He brought Aww. 
another book. Maybe Sorcerer's Stone, I think it was. This was not Cursed Child book guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, I have family in Florida, so like I do end up in Orlando at least once a year. So maybe we can set something up. Next time you're down there for work, uh, there we Michael, because Michael was uh, not a resident of Orlando. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Well. You're just going to have to travel all around until you find him. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. See everybody next week for episode 431. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.